0: So let's gather together in the word, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. We're continuing the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus has taken his disciples up onto a mountain, and they're in the area of Galilee, overlooking that lake there, and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And so it says in verses 17 through 20, I'll read it, and then we'll go through it. It says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you. That unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Lord, come before this passage and we ask that you would give us the mind of Christ here, Lord. Help us to understand what you're saying. Lord, that we may hear not only be hearers, but, but doers of your word, not only in our actions, but in our attitudes, Lord. And so by your spirit, we just submit ourselves to you and we trust that you're going to do your work today in our hearts to your glory. Amen. Well, uh, in verse 20, Jesus begins by telling his disciples here. Sorry, I got to change my view. It has to be a bigger font so I can see it. <laughs> I realize I'm like, I'm having trouble. In verse 20, Jesus begins by telling his disciples there, do not think That I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, the Old Testament, how many of you know your Bible has two testaments yesterday? If you were in this class, hopefully you walked away with that knowledge. Um, But the first, yeah, yeah. The Old Testament really is, is the law and the prophets. That's... That's pretty much what it is, and also poetry there. But the first five books of, of the Bible contain what is called the Law of Moses or the Pentateuch um, the Torah. And this would include the moral law. And so the, when you talk about the law, it speaks about the moral law. This would be the Ten Commandments. We, we kind of know the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20. Uh, and then there's the civil laws. That's uh, how Israel would, was to govern um, one another. And so they talk about property rights or what happened when someone was accidentally killed or killed on purpose, all this type of stuff. And then there's ceremonial laws and those would deal with how worship was to be conducted, um, clean and being unclean and, and, and all of this. And so it's said in all that there were 613 laws in the law of Moses. There are 613 laws. That's a lot of laws, but when you think about all of our laws, I mean, it's like 613, I'll take it, but 613 laws in the laws of Moses and the religious leaders of the day, you know, they were, they were legalists, right? A lot of them were, and they uh, basically divided them into 248 positive laws and then 365 negative laws, one for each day. And so Uh, And and they would they would spend a great amount of time debating which of these laws was the greatest. And this is so you imagine a bunch of lawyers all together talking about which which is the greatest law. And so they spent their time doing that. And we'll come back to that in, in a bit here. But in addition to the law of Moses, there were the prophets. You know, when you think of prophecy, you often think of, you know, thus saith the Lord, this is going to happen and, and this fire is going to fall on these people and all that stuff. And, and that's part of it. But basically there's two functions of a prophet in the Old Testament. One is, is someone who did uh, foretelling and then the other one was forthtelling So um, there's the foretelling, which is, which is God's prophets would come and tell the people of Israel what the state of their condition is. What's going on? What is God saying? And so... Israel, who was supposed to be following the laws of God, they would often go off course. Can anybody relate? And so a prophet would come in their midst by God's grace and he would start telling them, hey, you're off course. You're supposed to be doing X and what's happening is Y and it's been going on. And then the prophetic portion of of the future events would be told That's the foretelling So foretelling telling you how it is Foretelling what's going to happen And because you've been doing this X is going to happen in the future And then they'd go into massive details About how that would come about To To and if you read the Old Testament, it is absolutely amazing. And so there's the foretelling and the foretelling in the pro- in prophecy about judgment and all that type of stuff. But even more fascinating is that in the midst of all this, in the midst of Israel um, uh, disobeying the law and the prophets coming and telling them about the law, there was an overarching emphasis on the one who would come and fulfill the law and fulfill the prophecies about the Messiah. And so the spirit of prophecy is is about Jesus, Revelation 19 says. And so there is prophecies concerning the Messiah who would bring salvation to God's people. They needed to be saved because they did not keep the laws of Moses, nor could they, as God has revealed his righteous standard through the law and the prophets. And so Jesus says to his disciples, hey, don't think that I've come to destroy The Old Testament. Don't think I've come to destroy all that the law and the prophets have proclaimed about God's righteous standard and the Messiah. I've come to fulfill them. I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. You know, if you remember in, in, uh, on Jesus's resurrection day, the day he was resurrected in Luke 24, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and he runs into two disciples. They don't recognize him in his resurrected state. It was kept from them. And they were describing everything that had happened. He said, what's going on? They said, where have you been? And he starts describing everything that has gone on. You know, have you been under a rock, sir? You know, uh, we, we think this guy is the Messiah, but then he died. And he, they explain all this stuff. And then at the end of it, Jesus kind of chimes in verse 25 of Luke chapter 24. He says, oh, foolish ones and slow heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? In verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. I want to be at that Bible study. Like people talk about time machines. Send me there. And Jesus just cracks open the Old Testament and starts with Genesis one and goes, yeah, that was me. The word in the beginning. And by the way, page two, that's me. By three, and he just keeps going through the whole thing and showing them who he was. Now, obviously, it was probably a little more condensed, but he just he starts laying it out, and their eyes are opened. And then he, they they actually had bread, and then when he breaks bread. They they obviously recognize him. And then he disappears from them. It's, a, it's an amazing story. I won't go into all of it, but Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets, the prophecies. So he's the fulfillment in the sense that he fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. All of it. Jesus perfectly obeyed all of it. Pretty amazing. And he fulfilled all the prophecies concerning the Messiah. And by the way, there's still some more to come. Obviously, but... Talking about in his first coming, you know, Peter, this is interesting. Uh, if you just make a note of this first Peter chapter one, verses 10 through 12, first Peter chapter one, verses 10 through 12, Peter says this, he says, he says, concerning this salvation, he says, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when the, when he predicted the sufferings of the Christ and the subsequent glories. I know that's kind of something taken out of context there, but what you see is fascinating is that you want to know how the prophets were prophesying about the sufferings of the Messiah, how they were prophesying with such accuracy, the events that were to come. It's because the spirit of God was in them The spirit of Christ was in them Prophesying through them about what would happen I know isn't that weird The eternal God Jesus Christ was in the prophets Telling them through the people what would happen what would come Fast forward you get to the Mount of Transfiguration Jesus is transfigured and who's up there on the mountain with them the representatives of the law and the prophets—you got Moses and Elijah, right? Or Moses and yeah, Elijah, right? Just making sure here. <laughs> Don't want to get stoned. <laughs> and and they were discussing all that was to come. You have the law, and you have the prophets, and all that they represent pointing to the one who was the fulfillment of everything to come. And listen, the law and the prophets, they reveal the righteous standard of God. In Matthew 22, 34 through 40, Jesus summarized the righteous standard of God. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Jesus said, well, he was being tested by a lawyer, a Pharisee. One of the guys there are religious leaders the lawyer, the, the lawyer comes up And goes hey which, which is the greatest Commandment remember I shared That they would debate back and forth which of the Which one's the greatest commandment well they decided to Bring Jesus into this conversation they were testing him And Jesus responds In Matthew 22 verses 37 through 40 he says You shall love The Lord your God with what With all your heart With all your soul with all your mind. And this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. If you want to understand the Old Testament and everything that it is, it's summarized in what Jesus just said there. It is to love God and to love one another. That is the fulfillment of the law. And Jesus was the fulfillment of it. Jesus did that perfectly. He loved God. He loved his father. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll obey my commands. Well, he modeled that for us. He obeyed his father unto death. And not only that. Within those commands was the command to love God and to love one Another to love us and that He gave himself for us and Jesus wanted his disciples To know with absolute certainty That the law and the prophets they Stand they stand. And he said to them, I am not here to destroy them. I am here to fulfill them. Verse 18, he emphasizes that for truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until it is accomplished. Not one iota and not a dot will pass from the law until it's accomplished. Now, an an iota and a dot would be the equivalent of of a punctuation, a dot above a period or the crossing of a T. It's the most minuscule part of our language. And that's the idea. And Jesus takes this idea of something so constant, the heavens and the earth, the sun Rises and it sets and the world spins and everything's in motion and here it is. It's just so constant, right? I mean, I know, Okay, science people just chill. It's it's constant, right? That's his, his idea that it's not going away. The law is like that. It's not going away. Even the most minuscule insignificant seeming to you part of it is not going away. Until I accomplish it Until it is accomplished Until I fulfill it Pretty wild Now there's a lot in that statement It makes me ask the question How did Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? Well as I already mentioned We know that he obeyed the law fully The ten commandments The moral law He, he, he obeyed the civil law He obeyed the ceremonial law To a T All of it We know that Jesus taught the law correctly and we'll see that here as we move on next week He taught the law correctly. We know that Jesus demonstrated the law Accurately in his attitudes and his actions. So not only in 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 what he did, but also how he did it Pretty amazing And we know that Jesus fulfilled the types and the pictures and the roles that were prophesied of him Prophesied as the son of God, the son of man, as as the prophet, one greater than M- Moses, as the high priest and the king of kings and the Lord of lords, as the sacrificial lamb and all these different pictures that were given of him in the Old Testament. Obviously, I left out tons of them as a kinsman, redeemer and so forth. We know that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets when he ultimately when he hung on the cross. And he cried out, It is finished. Paid in full, it's done I have accomplished it It's finished, it's done And so Jesus goes on To tell his disciples there in verse 19 Therefore whoever relaxes One of the least of these commandments And teaches others to do the same Will be called least in the kingdom of heaven So the tendency that Jesus is warning about Is to relax the standards of God Both in their living Their application of it in their life And also in their teaching that's what he's saying. And Paul said the same thing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, where he said, Hey, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching, on your life and how you teach, how you model Christ to others. Keep a close watch on it, Timothy, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Heavyweight. We know James said, let there not be many teachers among you because you'll receive the stricter judgment. Don't relax, don't be lazy, don't relax the commandments of God. Don't brush off the inconvenience of his truth in your life. And don't let that push over into how you teach others. If you relax it here, it's going to be relaxed there. Now, we're not all pastors. He's talking to the apostles there, but this just doesn't, doesn't just apply to apostles. <laughs> How many of you have influence? How many of you teach? How many of you model Christ in front of people? Yeah. The tendency for teachers of God's word and modelers of God's words, be it pastor or a parent. It's to please people instead of God be people pleasers. Saul struggled with this. Remember King Saul? He cared about what people cared about more than what God required. And you find out the best thing for people is caring for God more than caring for people. It's going to translate to people and how you teach and how you love. If you love God, you're going to love people. And to to love people, you want to give them his truth the way he says it. Timothy was warned that people would gather teachers to themselves to hear what they want to hear. Don't you want to hear what you want to hear, everybody? I want to hear what I want to hear. I want things that reaffirm what I want to have reaffirmed. I I don't necessarily want the sharp edges. I want the fluffy things, the things that encourage me. And by the way, God has plenty of encouragement in his word. Amen. But Timothy was warned, man, be careful, and people are gonna be doing that. They're gonna be pulling, don't be one of those guys that compromises the word so that people like you, because it's not about you, it's about me. And he says a lot of those exhortations to people, but uh, people wanna feel religious without the righteous requirements that come with true religion. We want to ease our conscience by going to church, but we don't necessarily like living it out. I say we, I mean I. Anyone else? Yeah. And so, what do we do? We relax the things that God has called us to. We relax them. We don't want to emphasize that Because I don't want to ruffle your feathers I don't want to talk about issues of the day That would be socially rocking the boat Or offend people You know All over the place You know It's like I like what Chuck Missler says I'm an equal opportunity offender You know I've got something to offend everybody It's not him it's, it's the Lord right His word just comes out and so he he cuts us in our Christian nationalism Is our allegiance to the Lord Or is it to um, the United States of America It's like well, oh, you're messing with You're messing with things now Don't you be messing with that Because Jesus in America You know He's coming back with the flag on his shoulders I love America I love this country. My dad fought for it. My grandfather fought for it. People bled and died. My dad got shot down helicopters, all this kind of stuff. I love it. But my allegiance is to Jesus. I love him more. You know what I'm saying? We've got to be able to differentiate the two and you get into other things like, you know, what we're dealing with with sexual identity and all this kind of stuff. so easy just to to soften it and to not talk about these things or hypocrisy from the pulpit or whatever it might be. Don't want to talk about that. I mean, look what we're running into here next. We're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about lust. We're going to talk about divorce. We're going to talk about loving your enemies. We're going to talk about lies. We're going to talk, it's just, you know I mean? It's like, it hits us all, right? But Jesus warns, don't relax. Even the least of these things in your teaching Don't be faithful to me Jesus warns that those who relax the least of these commandments And teaches others to do that Will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven Now I don't even know what that means But obviously it's not good And it's not talking about people who are unsaved. It's talking about saved people, teaching people and relaxing things about Jesus and and kind of like, ah you know, whatever. We don't need to follow that part. So obviously from this text, uh, you know, it's there are commands that are greater than others, right? He just said the greatest command is to love your Lord God with all your heart, mind, you know, yeah, help me. <laughs> See, we need, I need help. And he said, the little ones like it to love each other, you know, but the greatest is to love God. And then right next to it, love one another. So there's obviously ones that are of different weight, but don't compromise the lighter ones. Don't compromise the minor ones is what Jesus is saying. You'll be least. And I think the context is there is not about salvation. It's about rewards and eternal glory and all that kind of stuff. And I don't understand how God does that, but I know he's just, and I know it's his kingdom. And when he says you're least, you're least. And you know, these guys were always concerned about who is the greatest, right? (laughs) They're having discussions on the side. Who's the greatest. Can I be greater? Can I sit there? Yeah, I think we all want to be great in the sense that we want to do what God calls us to do. Amen. And that way up is down. But. On the other hand, Jesus encourages disciples in verse 19, the second half of verse 19 says, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So not just hearing the word. But doing the word and not just doing the word but modeling and teaching it you all have an influence in the kingdom of God By the very nature of the light being within you as a believer You are a teacher of the word of God Maybe not hold the office of a teacher in the church, but you are communicating light to people amen and That's important. And those who obey and teach others to obey will be called great in the kingdom of God. It doesn't make a difference what everybody else thinks of you. It's what God thinks of you. That's the important thing. And I don't mean to be calloused and and weird about that. It's just that that's the standard, right? That's the standard. You want to be great in the sense that you're honoring him and loving him and obeying him and following. He says, listen, do what I call you to do, even in the least things and and teach that and model that for other people. And you are great in the kingdom of heaven. And there's other things that he teaches about, about being great in the kingdom of heaven. The greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. Right. And other things like that. Right. So. The question is, do we relax the word of God to meet our own comfort level? Do we dismiss challenging verses and yet embrace only the fluffy ones or the ones that encourage us? They're all for us, right? So it's not like we throw out the, the encouraging ones, you know, and just oh, beat yourself up. But we, they're all for us, you know? But when, how about when sharing with others, do we soften what God says because we don't want to be viewed in a certain way that might not be socially acceptable? Do you soften what God says because people around you might not like it? This isn't talking about how we communicate, being rude and all that. That's not it. But we're talking about compromise. Do we compromise truth in conversations and circles? Because, you know, just. If so, then we are in danger of being least in the kingdom if we relax. If we don't live it and we don't teach it and we don't model it in the way that God calls us to. And whatever that means. But on the other hand. If we're a people who love and obey Jesus, obviously we're not perfect. Right. And he's sanctifying us. But if we love and obey Jesus and and we model that. Man. Great in the kingdom of heaven. And I want us to be great. Great. In the kingdom of heaven. I want us to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. I want the, everybody in the kingdom to be the greatest. I know that's, I, you know, this is what the heart of the Lord is for you. Amen. He wants to bless you. He wants to lift you and encourage you and bring you into the kingdom and, and, and have you be all that he's created you to be. And if so, if we are those people, then God considers you great in the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus sums up his teaching here in the last verse, verse 20. He says, For I tell you, he's speaking to his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whew. He just talked about teaching and relaxing, even the least. And then he talks about keeping it and being the greatest and all this stuff. And then the context is. The scribes and the Pharisees, and he's going to jump into all their teachings here in just a few minutes. Not in a few minutes, in a few next week. Yeah, you're like, oh, no. But the scribes and the Pharisees, obviously, you guys know, and, and the Sadducees, they were the religious leaders of the day. You know, they were the religious leaders of the day. They were the lawyers and the teachers. They're the ones who read the law of God and interpreted it for the people. And because many of the Jews, um, they did not uh, read Hebrew. I know it's weird, but they remember they were in captivity in Babylon and the, the, the language that they developed there. They came back in the common vernacular was actually Aramaic. And so most of them spoke Aramaic and I'm sure some of them read Hebrew, but most of them didn't. So you, they were, uh, it was up to the priest. It was up to the pastor. It was up to the religious leader to interpret what God was saying for the people. You know, how precious it is that you have a Bible in your hands. You can crack open and read for yourself. You know how precious that is and the trail of blood that came to that book in your hands, starting with Jesus It's just amazing But it was the Sadducees The religious leaders in the elites Who were the ones who were there to interpret scripture In the eyes of the people were in, In the eyes of the people These people were absolute superstars I mean if they were selling shoes They'd buy them You know what I'm saying You know, air Pharisee (laughs) <laughs> you know, whatever it is They were, when it came to the law They were immaculate I mean, they were keepers of the law Not only teachers, but they were keepers When you, when you looked at them, you're going Man, that is everything a Jew should be And their whole society was structured around the law and the prophets We have to know that, right? There is no separation of church and state. It is all crammed into one. And these people were at the top of the echelon and they were revered by the people. They were absolutely revered. Jesus said it was these guys who strained at a gnat because the law prohibited them to eat uh, blood. Things that weren't drained of blood, that weren't kosher. And so, you know, they're, they're going along and they get a gnat and then they start trying to get it out. Right? That's the extreme that they would do. They would purge themselves because they swallowed an act, because they want to keep the law. Something so insignificant they would keep the law. They were spiritual elites, all trained in the ways of the law. They they wore phylacteries on their arms and foreheads. These were boxes that had writings of the Torah. They would have them in their arms, and then actually when they went to Sabbath, they would put them on their foreheads, and, and they would have the law on their hands. And so people go, oh man, they've got the law on their hands, and their heart, like Deuteronomy, was it 6-8, or whatever it might be? And and they would have tassels hanging off of their shawls that they would wear, right? The, the tassels, and, and, and that was to remind them of the commandments of God, and, and they would have really long tassels because they were super... Remind everyone to be, you know, hey, look at me. I, I've got all these things on. I love God. And how they walked and how they spoke and how they prayed in public and how they gave their offerings. Everybody could see this and they're just going, man. Those guys are righteous. Those guys are righteous. And Jesus said to his disciples, this group of fishermen. Tax collectors and zealots Unless your righteousness exceeds those guys You are not getting into the kingdom of heaven I don't know about you, but what would you do with your heart at that point? Why am I even here? That ain't happening That is not happening. Anybody feel like that? That's not happening. That is not a reality. There's no way I cannot live like that. That is too perfect. But what the disciples could not see is what Jesus knew all too well. And this is important, church. This is we're honing into the end that although these men put on a good outward show, it was all self-righteousness. They were hypocrites. And that they professed and acted out one thing, but in reality, they were another. And I think this is a struggle with every single Christian from the pulpit, to the parishioner, to the parent, hypocrisy, projecting one same thing on the outside, but being something else on the inside. The disciples couldn't see it. The Israel couldn't see it, but Jesus saw it. Flip over with me to Matthew 23. In closing, Matthew 23, 1 through 36. We will go over uh, Matthew 23 in depth when there is a colony on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Just putting a timeline out there. <laughs> Matthew 23, one Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. He's mostly speaking to his disciples, the crowds are there. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat. That is, they are the religious leaders here. They are the teachers of the law here in the land. And so what do you do? So do and observe what they tell you to. When they're reading the word of God, you obey the word of God. Do it. Amen. Observe and do it. But not the works they do, for they preach and do not practice. And Jesus reveals who they truly were. Verse four, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others for they make phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Remember the boxes? It's not a little box. It's a giant box so you can see it. It's not a short tassel. It's a long tassel. So you know who I am, right? Verse six, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. You know, I'm your brother. I'm not above you. I'm a servant alongside with you. We're we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. You have one teacher. Although I might be teaching the word of God to you and it's an honor to do that. He is our teacher. Amen? Amen. Amen. He goes on verse nine and call no man your father on earth For you have one father who is in heaven. I'll speak more about that later. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. So the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So these men, these Pharisees, religious leaders were men who had exalted themselves under the guides of spirituality. And Jesus says, not so with you. Don't do that. Not so with you. Verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would go uh, enter to go in. These were the pastors of Israel, unsaved themselves and keeping people out of the kingdom. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. Proselyte and When he becomes a proselyte you Make him twice as much a child Of hell as yourself Sixteen Woe to you blind guides who say If anyone swears by the temple It is nothing but if anyone swears By the gold of the temple it is bound by, He is bound by his oath You blind fools for which is greater The gold or the temple that has Made the gold sacred and you say If anyone swears by the altar it is nothing But if anyone swears by the gift that is on The altar he's bound by his oath You blind men for which is greater The gift of the altar uh, The gift or the altar that makes The gift sacred so whoever swears by the altar Altar, swears by it and everything on it, and whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it, and whoever swells swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. The point is that Jesus is emphasizing they had a focus on the external, they had a focus on the gold, they had a focus on the temple, they had a focus on the skies, but they did not have a focus on the altar, they did not have a focus on the temple instead of the thing outside of the temple. They didn't have a focus on God who sits on the throne. It was all the externals that they were focused on And they were focusing the people on those things It's all the shadows instead of the substance The shadows are important But the substance is priority Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, verse 23 Hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin And have neglected the weightier manners of the law Light matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So they obeyed the law to an extreme in the sense that they would tithe even the littlest minute things. And yet they neglected the weightier manners of the law. How about justice and mercy and all these types of things and faithfulness, right? Because you're straining at a gnat You know, <clears throat> oh, I swallowed something But you're eating a camel Totally unclean It's like you've got a huger problem You're neglecting the substance of the law Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees Verse 25 Hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup And the plate, but inside they're full of greed And self-indulgence You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. Again, emphasis on the external and not. Prior, prioritizing the internal you see This verse 27 woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you are like whitewashed Tombs which outwardly appear Beautiful they would whitewash the Tombs the outside of the tombs paint them white So they'd be beautiful but guess what's on the Inside they're full of dead men's bones And all in cleanness. so You also outwardly to righteous to others but within you You're full of hypocrisy and Lawlessness verse 29 woe to you Scribes and Pharisees you hypocrites for You build the tombs of the prophets and Decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in our days, the days of our father, we'd have not taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murder the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some who will you will kill and crucify, and some you will fly. In your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of uh, Barakai, uh, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. And truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus had some words. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will want no means enter the kingdom of heaven. They had a religion without relationship with God, Church. They were one thing on the outside that the others could hear and see, but inside they were dead. Is that what's going on with us? Jesus said, unless you have a righteousness that exceeds that of scribes and the Pharisees and no way you're gonna enter the kingdom of heaven, there must be an internal righteousness that is shown and demonstrated in love and good works on the outside. He's not saying saying neglect to the outside. He's saying there has to be an internal. A good tree bears what? Good fruit. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, that this righteousness that God requires to fulfill the law and to fill the the prophets, it's not in us. It's not in us. It's a righteousness that has to come from the outside. It's not within mankind. A righteousness, a right standing with God that produces right actions. That's what righteousness kind of is there. It has to come from the one who fulfilled all righteousness from Jesus Christ. It is him. And faith in faith in him. That's where we have our righteousness, our right standing before God and our power to live rightly before him. It's by faith. It's by faith in him. He did it. He went in front of you. You know, upon believing upon Jesus Christ, what God did was not only save us from our sins, but he gave us his spirit. He imputed his righteousness to us. He took his righteousness and put it in us. Isn't that crazy? So what you did not have, what you did not deserve, God freely gave you in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus. He gave you his righteousness. Your right standing before God and the right living as Christ lives through you by his spirit in this life. He changes us from the inside out church from the inside out. And it shows up on the outside. True religion is from the inside out, not the outside in. Have you been born again? If not, the spirit of God is he's here and he is calling you to this righteousness that you do not have. How does that happen? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I am all those guys and whatever else is going on, Lord, I'm, I'm those hypocrites. That's me. I don't have, I might have an outward facade, but Lord, inside I'm full of dead men's bones. And the only life that I could ever have is by your grace. I believe your son died on the cross and rose again to give me his life. Forgive me, Lord. Come and save me. And God brings us to that. His spirit draws us to him. You see, the law is not there to show you that you can keep it. It's to show you that you can't because that's him. Those 10 commandments, they reflect him. And so Christ is the answer. And he died for us. And he desires to bring us to him, submit to him, call out to him, cry out to him and let him change you and let you be born again and let him fill you with his righteousness that you may live and walk in newness of life. And as we pick up next week, Jesus is going through several examples where people were being taught external righteousness. You have heard it said, but I tell you this is how it really is. You've heard it said, don't murder, but I'm telling you the righteousness that Christ requires is you not have anger in your heart towards your brother. You've heard it said, love your enemies. I mean, don't, you know, basically retaliate in your enemies and all that stuff. I tell you what, love your enemies. You've heard it said, don't lust, don't commit adultery. But I tell you what, if you've got that going on in your heart, it's as good as done before God. See, that righteousness, it is worse than we think. But it's also better than we could ever imagine. Christ's righteousness in us, Amen? He makes dead men alive. He makes dead women alive. Praise God. Praise God for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He is our everything. He is not our crutch. He is our life support. He is everything. He is our life. Amen? So... Man, I just pray this week that we would just, whatever God has laid out here this morning, whatever that the Holy Spirit is implying in your heart, that you just take it and bring it before him and, and may the fruit of God's change in you, may it come about as you simply love and obey Jesus Christ. And as I was sharing with the group yesterday, there might, there's going to be a gap between what he's asking you to do and your ability, but that gap is gapped by the Lord. (laughs) He's going to do it in and through you. You step towards it in obedience and you'll be blessed. Amen. Let him be strong in you. In your weakness, he will be made strong. That might be out of context, but I think it fits. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for fulfilling everything that we could not. Thank you for being our great salvation and our exceedingly great reward. Thank you for being our hope, not only eternal hope, but here and now. Thank you for being our life. And I just pray that you would manifest yourself more fully in our lives. God, forgive us of our sin and cleanse us, Lord, and put our eyes back upon your righteous standard, upon who you are, Lord Jesus. And may we learn to live now life by the spirit. We were once married and under the law, so to speak, but you died to deliver us from the penalty of the law that we may now live in love. And so, God, teach us the ways of righteousness. Teach us the ways of Christ to love you with all our heart, mind and soul and that we would love one another as you have loved us. Do that work in your church. Do that in me, Lord. And we just submit ourselves to you and we praise you and worship you, Lord, for the truth you've given us this morning. May it be so. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. (laughs) Go love on one another. Amen.